Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, everyone. I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rule book and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman. From hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more, whether you are pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Are you ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Work Party, the podcast that's part work, part party. Work Party celebrates a new generation of women and femmes who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. Today, we'll be discussing important topics related to workplace culture, managing teams, diversity, equity, and inclusion, remote work, and challenges that face organizations with our special guest, Jessica Kriegel, Chief Scientist of Workplace Culture for Culture Partners. We couldn't be more excited to dive into this conversation because it's one of great importance. Glassdoor found that 77% of job seekers consider a company's culture before applying for a job. And 56% of employees say that company culture is more important than salary when it comes to job satisfaction. And beyond that, a study by the World Health Organization estimated that it costs the global economy approximately $323 billion each year. Needless to say, having a workplace culture that is positive, creative, and safe is of the utmost importance. And we are ready to dive into this heavy topic, Jessica. I was saying we have a lot of things to cover in this conversation, but we will get there. So first of all, such an interesting position. Um, Can you tell us a bit about your background and how you kind of got to where you are? Yeah, absolutely. So I got a doctoral degree in educational leadership and management, specializing in human resources development because I wanted to understand how to make the workplace the best that it can be. And ultimately, for the people in the workplace, how to make employees as happy as possible, because we all have to work. Can we at least have fun while we're doing it? Totally. Right? And so now in my role, I lead research and strategy around what works in workplace culture and what doesn't. And what we've found, the headline is that in order to get results, you actually need your people to be happy. So it's win win for the owners, for the CEOs and for the frontline employees. And so that's what my mission is, is to unleash the power of culture, to inspire people and businesses to reach their full potential. Oh, I love that. I 
I do feel like it has to be an art and a science in some ways. You know, I'm sure there's so much that goes into it. So let's just dive right in. But one question I'm dying to ask you is that a lot of leaders fall back on this trope that, you know, our team is like a family. And, you know, there's a lot of positive and negative. I think we've seen some memes around it. Like if you're being called a rock star at work, you're underpaid. You know, (laughs) So what's your take on that? Hate that. Do not (laughs) talk about your workplace being a family. It's not a family because family is a place for unconditional love. And that is never the case in the workplace. And when you get laid off, if you're getting laid off in one of those work cultures that talks about being a family, it's going to feel even more Mm. of a betrayal, right? Because I thought we were family. And so it's an unhealthy, it's actually a toxic sign. It's a red flag for workplace culture if you're talking about family. Instead, let's talk about we hold each other accountable to our expectations at the workplace. We care about each other. We even maybe love each other, but not in the way a family does, right? We love each other the way that people love each other. We come from a place of love, not romantic love, not familial love, but agape love, the kind of love where I will the good of another, the way that Thomas Aquinas talked about it. That's a green flag for culture. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Okay. So Obviously, you know, companies are trying to make their business work like first and foremost. So what advice would you give a company who's like, God, we need to start prioritizing workplace culture today? Like, how do we even start? Where do they begin? So it starts with purpose. It always starts with purpose. You have to get crystal clear on what your mission is, and then you need to make sure everyone in your company knows what it is. McKinsey did a study that said that less than 5% of employees know what their company's strategy is, Mm. and that includes the mission statement. So if your people don't even know what you're doing here, how are they going to help you get there? If you want to achieve results, we always talk about purpose alignment, purpose fit. People need to feel connected personally to the organization's purpose if they're going to give a rip about what you're doing. So, okay, but where is the boundary on that? Because I feel like a lot of, you know, founders that I talk to are nervous to share too much of what's going on in the business. Like when things are good, obviously it's great to share, but when things are bad, you get nervous to share because you don't want to make then your employees nervous. So what do you think that fine line is of sharing and oversharing? I don't think there is too much oversharing. I am an advocate for radical transparency. I was once talking to the head of culture at IBM, and he said, if my people are not safe at this company, I want them to know that they're not safe so that they can get themselves to safety. Mm. What if we allowed people to know the truth so they can make their own decisions and be autonomous about their lives? We don't wait until the last second to say, oh, Here, 10,000 people are laid off. Right. Right. You broadcast it. I mean, that leaders won't do that because they're leading from fear, basically. But if we lead from love, we could say, all right, hey, guess what? In the next month, we're probably going to do some layoffs. We don't know who it's going to be yet. You might want to take a look for other opportunities. Now, the reason leaders don't do that is because then they might lose their top talent. Right. Right. But that's a very selfish way of leading. That's not leading with love. That's leading from a place of what can I take from people? And that's not the kind of leader I want to work for. I I love that. I love the radical transparency. It's definitely a unique approach. I think it's challenging because to your point, exactly. It's like fear versus honesty, you know, what outweighs what. But what I want to ask about is like, how do you actually measure the effectiveness of, you know, these cultural initiatives that you're doing? Is it data driven at some point? Is it, you know, feelings driven? Like, how do you know if people are happy? Like, I don't think they're going to come and tell you that per se. Well, I think the number one way to measure culture is to see if you're achieving your results. Mm. If you're not achieving your business results, then your culture's not working, right? That's the number one indicator. But culture is data-driven. Those who think that it's kind of woo-woo and touchy-feely and impossible to measure, they don't understand culture. Culture is experiences that we share that shape our beliefs, which drive actions and get results. You can measure every element of that to understand where is our culture broken? Where is it working? And is it allowing us to facilitate getting our results? 
What's your feeling on, you know, anonymous feedback loops? You know, I think a lot of leaders I know are sort of starting to go down that route where people can provide, you know, their own feedback without the fear of retaliation. Is that something that you advocate for? Yeah, I mean, most engagement surveys are anonymous. That's what you see out there. I think the best way to go about gathering that feedback is to do it frequently. Mm -hmm. You don't want to do the once a year check in. Here's 45 questions on a survey. Are you happy? And then we'll check back in next October. The pace of business and life moves too quickly. So I've seen a lot of success with pulse surveys where every week you get a text message asking you, how are things going? How do you feel? And then gathering data that way more frequently is a really effective way of seeing what trends are happening in your workforce. Oh, I love that. I think that's great. I think that's also a great tip because I think sometimes it's your last priority and, and it's time consuming. But if you just kind of have that, you know, automated thing happening all the time, you're constantly getting good feedback. So I I think that's great. Okay. A survey by the Predictive Index found that the top challenges that managers face include hiring and retaining top talent, over 54%, managing workload and priorities, 44%, and managing conflicts, 43%. What advice do you have for people wearing so many different hats? How can they ensure they don't let one part of their role slip? Managers have it the hardest, Mm. frankly. We hear a lot about the frontline worker and the plight of the, you know, the lowest level in the organization. But managers, they got to manage up and they got to manage down. Most of them focus on managing up more than down, which leaves the frontline workers without an advocate. And I would say that if you focus on serving, if you're your area of intention is around how can you be of service to the people that you're working for and working with both above you and below you, then you're going to be on the right track. It'll help you solve a lot of the problems that most managers are dealing with because they're feeling overwhelmed by the pressure to Mm. deliver. But when you come from a place of service and love, then the pressure to deliver dilutes because you realize you're working towards something higher, a higher purpose. I love that. Yeah, I've heard that people don't quit jobs, they quit managers. Yeah. Yeah. What's your feeling on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I quit managers, not jobs, right? It's when I've worked with someone who was taking, who was selfish, who was fear-based, I just wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. It creates stress. It creates physical reactions. I mean, I used to vomit. I used to throw up. Yeah. I used to cry every day, right? Now I work for someone who serves and I just want to go to the ends of the earth for them. I will do anything. I am working harder than I ever have because I know that I'm working towards something that's bigger and for someone who cares. You know, it it really does make a difference in performance, even though some people think, well, there's people and then there's profit. Actually, everyone wants the same thing. Mm -hmm. If we can work together, we can make a difference. I love that. So how can leaders identify and address toxic behaviors and attitudes within their organization? I know this is a question I get asked a lot is like, I know this is happening. It's been communicated to me, but like, what do I actually do about it? They have to take action. They have to protect the people who are in the organization. Culture can be killed by one person Mm -hmm. who's acting in a toxic way, who's super negative. And if you let that person remain in the organization and affect the people around them, you're going to be bringing culture down for everyone. And I mean, our CEO at one point in the history of the organization had to let go some top performers who were not fitting with the culture that we were trying to create. Wow. And the fear is real for a CEO to let someone go who's a top performer, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, wait, what if this is our top salesperson? How can we possibly make that up? But the benefit that you get in the long term for the people who are left is so significant, significant that it's worth it. Wow, that's amazing. That's a great lesson there. So what advice would you give to managers who are leading remote teams for the first time? Because I know it's a very different beast than it was when we were all in office. What are the common pitfalls to, to avoid? The most common pitfall with remote work management is 
not being explicit about the expectations for a virtual workforce. Mm. So, so many managers just assume people know that it's okay if you have to take your child to work and then come back and you don't really start at 830 or they assume that you know that you have to be at your desk when you work. You can't log into a Zoom or should we turn my camera on or not? Can I work from a coffee shop or do I have to be at home? All Mm. of those are assumptions that people make about is this allowed or not? So companies that are having the most success in managing a virtual environment are laying out those rules. They're being explicit and saying, this is what we expect of you, what we don't. Now everyone gets to play by the same rules and no one has to guess about, am I doing something wrong by working at a workshop? Am I allowed to take a trip to Hawaii, bring my computer and do a hush trip? People don't know because managers aren't explaining that. A hush trip? Is that what it's called? Yeah. I love that. I had no idea. Ideally, it's not a hush, hush trip because your manager you can knows. communicate it's that. It's just a trip, right? No, I love that. So you think a work from home policy outlining explicitly what that means is super crucial. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be the same for every team in an organization. It could be manager by manager led. But as long as the employees are being given the information so they don't have to guess. Right. No, I think that's great. And I think probably everyone was figuring it out at the beginning. They weren't sure. And now it's gotten to the place where this is the norm. But on the flip side, we're having more and more people go back to the office. So a survey by LinkedIn found that 70% of employees said that they would prefer to work from home at least one day a week after the pandemic. What advice would you give to managers who are navigating this now transition back to the office? And how can they ensure that their employees feel supported and valued throughout this kind of controversial process? Yeah, well, first of all, I would say that the more a company can have remote work options, the better. Yeah, we've proven that we can be productive at home. Women, there's a study that just came out that said that women are now considering that a deal breaker. If I have to go into the office, I'm not going to go into the office for you. I'm going to go get another job. Yeah. Also, women are struggling with the child care issue, especially since COVID. So many child care centers shut down. And the fact is, this is more of a women's issue than a men issue because 80 percent of single parents are women. And Mm -hmm. so we have to create flexibility options for our employees to be able to feel fulfilled. Again, this isn't a people versus profit thing. It's a the more people feel taken care of, the more that you're going to get productivity and therefore profit out of them. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's fascinating about the single parents. I think that's such a huge piece of this that no one's really diving into or talking about. So flexible work culture yields more productivity, it sounds like. Um, so let's get into hiring. Hiring is one of the most difficult difficult tasks managers are faced with. I can definitely attest to that. To that, How can organizations evaluate candidates' potential for productivity during the hiring process, especially for roles that require collaboration and teamwork? First of all, dump culture fit. Culture fit is not positive. It's not going to help you get the right candidate. And it's actually going to be counterproductive because when most people think about culture fit, they think about who would I want to go get a beer with? Right. And that allows a lot of room for unconscious bias to be in the decision making process. When you think about who you want to hang out with, you end up picking people who look like you, who talk like you, who Mm. went to your alma mater. And now you're reducing the amount of diversity in the workforce because you're just going to hire people like you. Right. We, again, we talk about purpose fit as being so critical. Does the purpose of the, what moves that person? The first question I inter, I ask every person I'm interviewing is, what makes you happy? What moves you? What is your purpose in life? And if they're not sure, I ask them to dig deeper. We d- dive into that in the interview. And then I say, so what about this job is going to help you fulfill your purpose? That's when they start to really get excited about work. And what you want is people who care. You want to have an employee who gives a rip about what it is that you're doing. And if they do, they're going to be fulfilled. You're going to be fulfilled. They're going to stay with the organization longer. Everybody wins. In today's fast-paced world, it's easy to feel lost and disconnected, especially when it comes to work. 
That's why I'm so excited to introduce you to Culture Partners, a group of experts that have been empowering businesses to build strong cultures for over 30 years. Culture Partners understands that companies need to do more than just provide a paycheck. After all, we spend at least eight hours a day in a business setting. It's so important for leaders to create and sustain a culture that inspires and engages their employees. And Culture Partners applies data-driven insights and psychological methods to dismantle the chaos of poor morale, low performance, and missed financial goals. They help companies connect experiences, beliefs, and actions to achieve results year after year. And over the past three years, many of us have had a chance to re-examine our energy output and reprioritize what's important to us. Let's be honest, we're all asking big questions about work these days. Like me, some have made major changes. Others are still struggling to find it. Winning companies are the ones that support their employees on this journey. As employees become more scarce, their value and their voices become even more important. And Culture Partners is hyper-focused on increasing employee retention, delivering results, and driving deeper engagement. When you're partnered with a culture expert, you'll gain access to all of the necessary tools and services needed to activate and sustain your culture for the long run. From teams of three to companies of 100 plus, Culture Partner strategies are custom made to empower everyone in your organization to take personal ownership over their success. If you're a new business owner, I encourage you to get ahead and build a culture that values transparency, accountability, and inclusivity from the very beginning. You'll not only attract and retain talented employees, you'll also set the foundation for a successful and sustainable business in the long run. Establishing a strong reputation and brand identity is essential in today's competitive market. So don't wait until it's too late. Start building your company culture now. Visit culture.io to speak with a Culture Partners culture expert, then head to culture.io slash resources to sign up for their newsletter and receive regular culture insights. I'm Arielle Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from addiction almost nine years ago, I have been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life. And I'm sharing everything with you from how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures. I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with the industry's top experts and inspirational guests. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. What's your feeling on radical transparency in interviews? You know, I think I when I started being a bit more, I think for a while we were growing so fast, I wanted to, you know, sell them essentially on the job, you know, so that they would come work for us. But then I feel like then my new tactic was unsell them on the job. You know, Where I was <laughs> yeah. like, let me tell you all the bad things or like things that we're working on here that are that you probably don't see in the job description or the day to day. And I think we actually got better candidates because of that, because of that explicit honesty. What what's your feeling on that? I do the same thing. I tell them, here's all of the challenges you're going to face. Yeah, and this is what you need to know. The reason that's important is because you're creating brand authenticity in the interview. If they get hoodwinked into joining you and then they realize all of the mistakes, you're going to have higher turnover really quickly in their job. I think from a candidate perspective, if you're looking for a job, I also advocate radical transparency Mm -hmm. because that makes sure that you're getting the right fit for you as well. When I was talking to culture partners about joining this company, I, I'm in recovery. And in my last job, I didn't tell anyone about that because I was afraid that they might judge me or whatever. And I was sick of having to act a certain way. Mm. So when I did the interview with my boss, I said, listen, I want you to know the full me before you decide to offer me the job. He did offer me the job. And I said, watch this keynote because in the keynote, I reveal that and then offer the job to me again. 
And he went back and he watched it and I was like sitting on pins and needles. And he finally came back and said, yeah, same offer. What do you mean? Like, of course, I always wanted you. He didn't even occur to him. But then I knew I could show up as my whole self. And it made such a difference for the way I got to be. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that and and recovery and and working through that. I know how challenging that can be. And I love that radical honesty as well. And I feel like that's what makes for the best interviews is when you can like be yourself. You know, what type of environment do you thrive in? Are you a slow, slow worker or fast worker? No bad answers, you know, kind of getting into that. So what is your advice for when a new hire isn't working out? It's always so difficult. How do you suggest managers deal with this while being fair to the rest of the team? And what's that time period where you kind of need to either pull the trigger either way? Yeah, I mean, feedback is critical. And so many leaders are afraid to give feedback because they're worried about hurting people's feelings. And the reality is they're doing a disservice to the person and themselves and the rest of the team if they are not. And not only that, but surveys have shown that your retention goes up if you're given more feedback. So We like to give feedback with a particular format that is very effective, which is not just saying, hey, great job on that project. But you say you did X, which is an example of our cultural belief that we want to nurture, which is Y. And as a result of doing that that way, you're going to help us achieve our key result of Z. And now you're connecting your results, the purpose of the organization, the culture that you're trying to nurture and the thing that that person did. So you're connecting dots for employees and they're able to lean into that action much more rather than just like, great job on that project. Uh, How do I duplicate that? Right. So giving feedback is critical. And in terms of time frame, it really depends. Is it a culture fit issue? Is it a job skill issue? Mm. Is it a toxic behavior issue? I mean, all of those have different answers. Yeah. The feedback one is so important. The new CEO, Kate Spees of Create and Cultivate, is, um, can give a masterclass in that. She's so good at it. I am such a good job person. <laughs> I, like, move on. But I'm like to watch her tie it back to all the things. I'm like, it's amazing. And it's definitely something I'm working on. So I love that. All right. Let's get into DE&I. A study by Glassdoor found that 67% of job seekers said that a diverse workforce is an important factor when considering job offers. Can you touch on what a diverse workforce is today and why it's so important for companies to prioritize hiring and DE&I efforts into their organization? Yeah, absolutely. We just released some of our own original research on this. We looked at 5,000 employees across 26 different organizations, and we found that On average, women had lower culture strength scores. They had lower autonomy of the work they're doing. They had less psychological safety, just scoring below men on almost every factor, which is really depressing. However, in organizations that had at least 45 percent of their leadership roles filled by women, those scores went up. It even reversed. And men were also scoring higher on all of those factors as Mm. well. So there is a financial impact of diversity in the workforce. Now, here's the thing. Most companies stop at diversity. They're like, let's get equity in who we're hiring and who we're promoting. And then that's that. But they've got to get the E and the I part of DEI and B, which is now DEIB, the belonging part. Mm. If you don't have equity, if you don't feel like you're included, if you're not feeling belonging, then the D part isn't going to last very long. Those people are going to leave. So that, I think, is the focus now for most organizations is now that you've gotten more diverse workforces, how do you make sure there's equity, which is about compensation? How do you create inclusion and make people feel like they belong? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so important. That's such a great way to look at it. We have seen some reports showing that DE&I initiatives have slipped over the course of 2023 as we see massive layoffs from large companies. 
why is it so important to keep DE&I at the forefront of your brand? And what could you do as an employee if you're seeing that slip away at a company when you that's part of the reason you joined? Yeah, well, Gallup did research on this and said the highest performing teams are ones that are made up of a diverse group of people because they're bringing different perspectives and they can have more constructive conflict. Conflict is a great thing in the workplace. I disagree with you. You disagree with me. Let's debate it for a while. And then we're going to come up with some alternative third way that neither of us could have come up with alone. So you're going to create more innovative solutions. Everyone wants innovation right now. Well, Mm. here's how you get more creative. You're going to be able to represent your customer better, which means you're going to give them more design thinking, created solutions and products. I mean, there's so many there's so many studies and evidence that shows the value of DE&I. And if you're having layoffs, that is I mean, look at Twitter. They just torched their entire workforce. Right. And who ended up staying? It was the people on visas that needed to stay. There were young people who didn't have children who could afford to go into the office every day. And now they've got complete lack of diversity, which wow. is going to affect their results. It's crazy to, to your point saying like, you know, even just creating a policy where you have to come to the office eliminates so many people. So yeah. that's that's such a huge piece of this. So what are some of organ, uh, organizations biggest challenges when creating an inclusive workplace culture? Like where do you think people mess up? I think they mess up on trying to create a one size fits all approach Mm. or even more importantly, they call it an HR initiative. They're like, hey, HR, you're in charge of diversity, equity and inclusion. Go. And what that does is it becomes less important in the eyes of the rest of the employees because it's not something that's leader led, CEO led. It's another initiative. It's another program. Mm. You've got the fastest rising job title in last year and the year before was the head of diversity, equity and inclusion. Their number one goal should be to put themselves out of work because that becomes part of the culture that everyone is leading that in their way that they show up as a manager. Right. We don't want to have it as an initiative or an HR program. We want it to be the way that we show up as leaders everywhere in the organization. So if you're interviewing for a job, what do you think is the best way to ask about their DE&I initiatives? Like, do you think that should be part of the interview process? If it's important to you, absolutely. And even if it's not important to you, it's going to affect you whether you realize it or not. Mm -hmm. Also, take a look at who's interviewing you. That's a really great indication. If there isn't diversity in your interview panel, then that's already an indication. Okay, let's circle back to remote work quickly. What challenges do remote teams face when it comes to building trust and collaboration? I know that's something that's so hard. It's at the beginning of uh, the pandemic. It was like we had meetings every 30 minutes. I felt like because I was like, we're all here still like we need to be together. But as we've gotten more and more used to it, you know, I think it's harder to figure out the collaboration aspect. And how can people overcome those challenges? Well, first, I want to say that creating culture in a virtual environment is not more difficult or less difficult than doing it in person. That's really not what makes culture. It's not about the four walls that you operate within. It's about the experiences we have together Mm. that shape our beliefs about each other and the meaning of the work we're doing, which lead to the actions we take and get us results. So I have an experience when I log into a Zoom call and someone's three minutes late. I have an experience when I get a text message from my boss. It's how am I being as a person? to you, another person here. And we do that in a virtual environment, but really it's about relationships and it's about how we show up that creates culture, whether you're in person or not. Absolutely. So let's go back to some of those red flags we were talking about. So calling your team a family, red flag. What are other signs of a toxic workplace and how can employees, managers, et cetera, identify these signs and say, wait a second? 
something's up here. Yeah. Well, a lack of transparency. If you Mm. have no idea what your boss's boss is thinking about or worrying about or working on, that's a lack of transparency. That's actually one of the best way to develop the future leader is to be thinking about what your boss's boss is thinking about. And if you can't figure that out because they're not being transparent, then that's not an opportunity for growth for you. Right. The second or I'm sorry, the third, I guess, would be a lack of accountability on the part of the leaders. If leaders are constantly talking about how you employee need to be accountable, but never looking at their role in what they're doing to facilitate positive or negative workplace culture, that's a red flag as well. Absolutely. And I want to circle back to conflict resolution, which we talked about a little bit, because I think this is where a lot of um, communication breaks down. Uh, And I think a lot of younger employees, in my experience, do not deal with conflict very well or like they, they immediately think like, well, this is over. Like we've gotten one, we've gotten a fight and now it ends. And, it, and <laughs> conflict resolution is actually so important to the workforce and how to get to that third option, as you said. So how can employees and managers have these difficult conversations about their workplace and address these issues, you know, before they fully spin out of control? Yeah, well, our definition of culture is a model called the results pyramid which is experiences, shaping beliefs, driving action, getting results. I've said that like three times, but it's super valuable. Using the language of the model to resolve conflict is how we recommend that you do it. So rather than saying, you really hurt my feelings yesterday when you talked about my project not being good, you can say something like, the experience I had yesterday in that meeting was that you don't believe that my project has legs or you don't support it. Is that the belief you'd like me to hold? And then it kind of makes it about this third thing, which is the experience and the belief that exists Mm. rather than you versus me. Yeah. Oh, good advice. I I love that. So can you share some success stories of companies that have transformed their workplace culture? Like, you know, what strategies do they use to get there and how are they operating now? Yeah. I mean, we have a ton. We we have been in business for 30 years helping companies transform their culture. And so first of all, all of them start with success when they start with, with the results that they're trying to achieve. Mm. We actually did original research on this that said that just having clarity of results alone can improve your culture strength by 44%. So you got to get crystal clear on what you want to achieve and make sure everyone in the company knows that. And the way to do that is to just have three simple key results that everyone can see themselves tied to that are meaningful they're measurable and they're memorable. Now everyone's going in the same direction because we've got shared results we're trying to achieve. Then reverse engineer that results pyramid I shared with. Well, if those are the results we want, what actions do we need to take? We collectively ask that question and come up with answers. And if those are the actions we need to take, what beliefs do we need to hold? Now we come up with these shared beliefs that will help us drive the right sustained action, right? And then finally, if those are the beliefs we need to hold, what kind of experiences do we need to create together to drive those beliefs? And when you reverse engineer that results pyramid and focus on taking accountability, you can move the needle pretty significantly. Sounds like it. That's That sounds awesome. We should link out to that, um, what you're talking about, because I think that's really fascinating. So let's end with some sentence finishers. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. True or false. It takes an entire team to build culture and only one person to ruin it. True. Uh, The most important thing to remember when leading is... It's not about you. The best hiring tip. Look for purpose fit, not culture fit. And the one sentence takeaway for any leader from today is... 
is to lean into the results pyramid, Google it if you have to, print it out, put it on your desk, and then tell your entire team about it because that is how you drive culture to get results. Ooh, the results pyramid. We are definitely going to be linking that so you guys can check it out. Thank you so much for coming on Work Party. Can you tell everyone where they can learn more about you and your work on social? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I've got a newsletter that publishes every week called This Week in Culture, and then you can follow me on all the other socials as well. Amazing. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. For more inspiring conversations like this one, follow the Work Party Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.